before we jump into the letter for today, I want you just for a second to pause and think, how cool is it when you go to the mailbox or when someone goes to the mailbox for you and then leaves a letter out and you know it's a handwritten letter. It's not a bill. It's not an update that you get from school. It's a handwritten letter. Have you ever received one of those? All right. It's so cool when you get that. And in an age of texting, of, you know, quick emails, snaps, it's really cool to get a letter. I have a box in my office that I save every handwritten letter that I receive, and I have received it because it's just an encouragement in difficult times. I save them. Now, today, we could write a letter, seal it, put it into your mailbox, and it's delivered to almost anywhere in the U.S., maybe even around the world sometimes within a day or two. That's kind of really amazing when you think about it, isn't it? Now, in the first century, in the Roman Empire, it didn't work this way. They didn't have a mail system that they could all of a sudden be like, I'm going to put this in my mailbox and it will get to wherever. You really had to consider, how am I going to get what I'm about to write to the destination where it's supposed to go? And there's really only about three options that you had. The first option was if you were connected to the military. Because the military in Rome would continue to move all over the place. And if you knew someone who knew someone who was in the military and going to a specific area, you could try to get the soldiers those letters and they would get to hopefully their destination. The second thing that you could do is you could work with the merchants. The traveling merchants who went from city to city were great. They were like the traveling post, and they loved making some extra money, so you could pay them to care for your letter, and then they would take it in their travels to wherever they're going. And the last way that you could do this is if you really trusted someone, a friend or a family, you could say, I need this letter to get to this place, and it's going to be expensive. If you're going to complain about a 55-cent stamp or whatever it is now, could you imagine, I need you to go 400 miles away to give this letter to somebody. We're talking about some expense here. Stamps aren't that bad, but you would ask them to carry it. You could write your letter, you can hand it off, and then in reality, you would just go about life as normal because it could take weeks, if not months, for a letter to arrive at its said destination. And if it made it, you were really pumped, the sender's very, very excited, they're going to save those letters, and, and you'd read the letter that was sent to you, and what's cool is if you knew the carrier of it, or the carrier knew the writer, you would keep the carrier there to say, I'm reading this, can you help me understand what they meant by this, what they meant by that? And it would become a very personal interaction between the carrier and the recipient. Isn't that pretty cool? It's just the way that it worked. It had to be done together. And the Apostle Paul, he was like a letter-writing fiend. He wrote tons of letters, and he had friends who would be his carriers. He's got guys like Stephanus, Titus, Epaphroditus. They were his letter carriers for uh, the church in Corinth and the church in Philippi. Then there was a woman named Phoebe that he trusted, and she carried the most profound and theologically like built-up letter to the church in Rome. That's who he trusted was Phoebe. And then Tychus and Onesimus, these are two guys that he trusted to carry a letter to uh, the church in Colossae. And the Onesimus actually carried a different letter. Tychus carried the letter to Colossae, but Onesimus carried a different letter than Paul had ever written. He carried a letter that was, instead of addressed to a church, it was addressed to a person. It was one-to-one, -one, a conversation, and it was a very unique letter. Honestly, 
when we look at it, you'll realize it's a very dangerous letter for Paul to write. And it's the one hit wonder we call, and I'm going to butcher the name throughout the rest of our time that we spend looking at this book. So if I say it three different ways, go for it. You just roll with me. But Philemon, okay? We're going to be looking at the letter to Philemon. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to turn with me to this little letter. It's going to be all the way to the right-hand side of your Bible. If you're using your phones, it'll be all the way down on the bottom. It's going to be tucked right in between um, Titus and Hebrews. So if you hit either one of those, that's how you're going to figure out where um, Philemon is. So uh, this is the only letter that we have that's named after the recipient, instead of the author. Almost all of the other letters are named after the author. This one is not, and it's really only about 25 verses, uh, and I, I like these little things because they just make me smile. How do you determine, like, that's all I want to say? That's, that's the end of my letter. It was really determined by the length of the parchment that Paul was using. So he was using, and when he's getting down to the end of the parchment, it's like, oh, I should close out this letter. I said what I needed to say. So you had to, you know, it, did you ever get a thank you note? And you're, you're writing a thank you note out. You want to write in that bottom half, and you want to finish it on the bottom half because it's always a little awkward to go back to the top, isn't it? You feel weird about going up on, and so that's what it would be. I need to finish my letter before it gets to the end. And so that's why some of these letters that we have are just so short. It was determined by the size of the piece of parchment. So let's dive into this very personal, this very unique, and this very dangerous letter together. Philemon starts like this in verse 1. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Aphia, and to our fellers, fellow soldier Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. May God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. This greeting that Paul gives actually tells us a ton of information right off the bat. It's easy to skip these when we read letters, but these are really important. And, and this information that's important to us is that there's a bit of a messed up history that we should understand here. And Philemon is a man who most likely met Paul when Paul was stationed and living in the city of Ephesus, which is really only about like 150 miles away from Colossae. Okay, so it's, it's one of those, we'll call it neighboring cities that would be connected. And so Philemon somehow was in Ephesus. He met Paul, and then Paul introduced him to Jesus Christ the Messiah. So Philemon begins to... to follow Jesus. And when we see that there's a, a woman in here named Aphia, I think, this is just my own thinking here, that this is probably Philemon's wife because they mention a church that meets in their home. So this letter, while it's very personal to Philemon, is to them as a couple saying, I need your attention here because something's going on. Something's happening. He was very likely a wealthy Roman citizen, if he had a home that was big enough for a church to meet in it, it's a bigger home. Not all homes were designed that way. So if he's wealthy, what that means as a Roman citizen is one of the ways that Roman citizens kind of flex their wealth is by how many slaves they owned. Okay? And immediately if you're like, whoa, 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 this is inappropriate. You're absolutely right, except we're looking at it from a lens in a, a 21st century American lens. And our understanding of slavery, if we are not looking back over into this first culture, where we stand is 
slavery is absolutely wrong because what we did in our country was steal people from their homes, men, women, and children from their own land, ship them across the sea to come to our land and buy, sell, and treat them like animals with no rights, no dignity, and no way out. This definition of slavery is absolutely horrific. It's unjust. It is, I'll even say, demonic because there's no love for people in this. No one should be stolen from their home and sold somewhere else and we're, that's ah, okay. No way. There's no justification for this. Are you with me? Okay. It's really important to say that because in the first century, this is, while that did still exist, it wasn't the norm of what slavery was or how it's really used. So a lot of times, if you were too poor to survive on your own, trying to scrap by in the streets was impossible. And so you would then sell yourself to a wealthy uh, master and say, listen, I will work for you if you promise to take care of me. And the master would really take care of room, board, uh, and, and you would work for them. And you would define a certain amount of time that you would work for them. And so it was like a giant contract, but you really were theirs and they owned you, but you, you were in this agreement. Does that make sense? There's a huge difference between saying, I'm in this and I'm choosing this versus stealing someone and selling them. This is inappropriate. One, it's still, I think God hates that. But for many, it was a better option in the first century than trying to scrap by on the streets. Philemon actually owned a slave and his name was Onesimus. Now that name should sound familiar to you because um, this Onesimus was a very interesting character. When he was working for Philemon, he waited for just the right time. And at just the right time, because he knew what his master had owned and had, he went and he took everything that he could get his hands on from his master, stole it all, robbed him blind, and then took off and ran away. And you can't stay close to home, right? You've got to cover your trail. And so what Onesimus did was Onesimus took off and he ran about 1,500 miles away to a place, to a city called Rome. Because in this giant city, he could hide. No one will know who he is. And, and that's kind of what he did until somehow Onesimus ran into someone he never expected to run into. And it was a man who found himself under house arrest in Rome. And this man under house arrest, his name is Paul, did what Paul does, and he preached the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And Onesimus, this runaway slave, fell in love with Jesus. And when he fell in love with Jesus, he started to work alongside Paul. And he cared for Paul who was in prison. He helped him spread the good news all over to Rome. This is a changed man from the guy who stole everything. Now he finds himself here. And, and I love to use my imagination with scriptures. I think sometimes we, we take it and we don't ever let it just breathe and have story. But I wonder sometimes as Onesimus is helping to take care of Paul, when the moment came that, that Onesimus's origin story came out. You know, what's the conversation look like when they're sitting around and Paul says to him, you know, say, hey, listen, um, tell me, like, where, where are you even from? Like, how did you get here and I imagine the conversation kind of going a little something 
Like Onesimus saying, yeah, I, I, I'm here, but I used to live really, really far away. It was this like, city thousands of miles away called Colossae. And Paul's like, really? That, that is so far. How in the world did you get here? Why did you leave? Well, you see, I, I, I used to be a slave. I agreed to it, but I didn't want to do it anymore. And so I, when my masters weren't home, I went and I stole as much as I could. I took everything. And, and, and I used that to fund my way to get to Rome because I thought I could hide here. I, I, I didn't know Jesus back then like I know him now, and I wouldn't do it now. Paul's like, I get it, I get it. Relax, Onesimus, I, I understand. We can talk about that later if you want, but if that's how you funded it, Jesus is in this now. You're here. And, and Onesimus, if you ever want to go back home to your hometown, I've never been there. I've never been to Colossae, but if you want to go back, I know people there. I can hook you up. I can make connections. If you ever want to go back and make amends with your master, I've got this. I mean, like I said, I've never been there, but I know from all the letters that come to me that this church, there's a church in that city. These groups of people who follow Jesus like you and me, and there's one thing I know about them more than anything else, and it is that they love each other. They love each other so much, and they all get together every single week in this one guy's house. And maybe you've heard of him. I don't know. If not, I'll hook you up. But his name is Philemon. And he's just this amazing guy. I told him about Jesus when he was in Ephesus. And so it's crazy that I would meet two people from the same city, isn't that? And I mean, if you ever want to go back, I'll make sure. Dude, I'll hook you up. I'll send you with like a letter of commendation to say, he's cool with me. I know what's going on. Let's go. And it's like, Odysseus, you okay? Did, did I say something to offend you? Did I do something wrong? Do you not want to go home? Like, why is your face all down? Why are you crying? Paul, I, I know about that church. You know, I've seen them gathering every week. I know where people sit, and I know how they act when someone else sits in their seats. How, how do you know that? Well, Philemon and Aphia. They were the masters that I served, stole from, and ran away from. That's, that's my master. I just imagine it had to be silent. What do you say to that? Right? What do you say to that? I just imagine Paul in this place of like, oh, dear Lord. Lord, I'm, I'm working right now with a runaway slave. And if he's discovered to be a slave, we are both in trouble and he could be killed. But, but God, what are the chances that, that I would be in Ephesus and, and meet Philemon and then, then here in Rome in prison and meet Onesimus and they're from the same place. They know each other. What are the chances of that? I mean, thousands of miles apart. Lord, what am I supposed to do with this? And again, Paul does what Paul does best, is that he lives out the gospel of truth and reconciliation, and he invites people to do the same. I, I imagine him in this moment looking up, Onesimus, listen, I got an idea. Go grab me a piece of paper. Go grab me a piece of parchment. I got to write a letter to Philemon. <laughs> nope. 
Nope, you're not writing any letters to him. You're going to try to sell me out, aren't you? I knew this was going to happen. No, 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 no. Just grab me the parchment. This is a letter about the good news of Jesus. Now he changes our life. This is a part of your story because you're in love with Jesus and so is he. And I need to make sure without a shadow of a doubt that the letter I'm going to write gets into Philemon's hands and you're going to give it to him. That's all I imagine. It's like, I just stole enough money to go across the world. And now I'm going to, like, and so we get this greeting from Paul where he says, listen, Philemon, Aphia, it's me, Paul, remember? What's going on? And then in verse 4, he kicks up and he says, I always thank my God when I remember and I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the people of God. I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things that we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Now, Paul does something amazing in this letter. After praising Philemon and saying, you are amazing at loving God, and and this is so good, and his people, you just do this so well, I am praying for you. He says that, that I pray that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. That word generosity, I just want to draw your attention to that because the Greek word behind this is really, really important. And the uh, New Living Translation, which I'm often reading from and preaching from together here, uh, it does a huge disservice in the way that it translates this word. Uh, the, the Greek word here is, is koinonia, which really means um, that we are together or as partners, like there's a unity that's involved in this, a partnership and sharing. And so Paul's prayer for Philemon is that he's going to put into action the fellowship and the partnership that he has in his faith. That he recognizes his faith is not his own, that it's rooted in this thing together. And so the generosity that he's asking him to extend is not financial, it's not material, it is relational generosity. It's completely rooted in remembering Christ extended this to you, koinonia to you, to say, I will give my life for you and partner with you so that you may have life. And so I'm asking you and I'm praying for you that you would remember your partnership with Christ here and your partnership with the people in his kingdom. Now, remember Onesimus is the one who's going to be delivering this letter. And he's probably standing right in front of him as he reads it. And now Paul is priming Philemon for the big ask. Here's the big ask in verse 8. That's why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it's the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I simply, I prefer simply to ask you. Consider this a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. If anyone could have used the because I said so, it's the apostle Paul. Right? Philemon owes him this great debt because he introduced him to Jesus. And, and now he's going to have eternal life with God. And that, would, that is so different. It's like, <gasps> but I think what Paul understands that I wish we could understand, I wish I could understand, is that forced behaviors never stick, do they? 
When you force someone to do something, it doesn't change who they are or change their life. But when change comes from inside and we are prompted to do things because we are partnered with Christ, when the Holy Spirit prompts us to live differently, things stick. And so instead of saying, this is what you have to do, he asks the favor. In verse 10, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been much use to you in the past. I know that sounds like an insult. It's actually really awesome. We'll get to it in a second. But now he's very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm still in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you're forced. Paul is asking for Philemon to show kindness. He's a slave returning to his master. And what you should know is that when a slave was returned to their master, the master had the right to do whatever they pleased to that slave. If they wanted them killed, they could be killed. If they wanted them, you know, flogged, they could be flogged. If they just said, you're fired and I want you in prison, they'd be in prison. They could decide whatever they wanted. And so Paul's big request is kindness. And the part where he brings the levity is Onesimus' name in the Greek means useful. His name means useful. And he says to Philemon, listen, I know when, uh, when Mr. Useful was with you, he was nothing but useless. He stole everything from you. Like, Mr. Useful, not at all. But something changed when he came. And he was this huge, huge help to me. He was useful. And now I'm sending you back. Not Mr. Useless. But Mr. Useful, and what's changed is Jesus. But Paul's honest, right? I, I, I just don't feel right having him here now. I don't feel right having him because I know that he ran away from you. And I love having him around, but without your consent, this isn't right. He recognizes that, that there's some rules that he has to abide by here. And in verse 15, he says, It seems you lost Onesimus for a while so that you could have him back forever. He's no longer like a slave to you. He's more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean so much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. And what Paul is doing here is reminding his friend that his former slave has value, has worth, and is a different man because of Jesus. This time away had an eternal impact on this man's life. And Philemon doesn't just have this slave back. He has a brother back that he will spend eternity with. He has more than a slave. He has a brother. I mean, could you imagine what's going through Philemon's head right now? But Paul's not letting Onesimus off the hook. He's not saying, you know, uh, just forgive him and do all these. He's like, just show him kindness. You, it's within your power to do this. And so what will you do to your brother? Legally, he's still a slave, but you don't have to treat him like a slave. Remember now, you are equal in Christ. And so Paul closes out his request this way. Verse 17, so if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. I won't mention what, that you owe me your very soul. And yet he mentioned it. Yeah. Don't make me say that I'm thinking this thing. You just said it. Well, don't make me say it. I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Yes, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. 
Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. One more thing. Please prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. This closing letter sums up something that is so beautiful that I hope that we can understand. He makes this request to Philemon to show kindness because of Philemon's partnership with Christ. And then he brings up that same exact word in verse 17. He says, so if you consider me your partner, your partner, and that word that he uses here is the same exact word of koinonia. The same thing, Philemon, that unites you to Christ and inspires you to love all of God's people. This partnership that you have with him, this reliance on each other, is the same thing that I'm praying you see that you and I have. That I've not forgotten about you and you haven't forgotten about me. I, I think that word partnership is so important because, yes, Paul will say all the time, we are all members of one body, aren't we? If you have chosen to dedicate your life to Jesus in his teachings, no matter who it is around the world that has made that same decision to follow Jesus, we are members of the same church, the global church. Are you with me? This is a beautiful thing that we have a connection to people. Immediately, we're members of the same church. Well, they're like a part of a body. We have to work together. But there's something different when you get down into the local communities of faith, into the local churches, where I'm glad that we're all part of the same church and members of the same body. But sometimes I need a partner who's going to walk with me. I, I can help people around the world as members of the church, but a partner is someone who's saying, I'm in with you because you're in with me. And, and I need partners in our church here because when I'm off base, I need you to call me on my sin. You need me to call you on your sin. You need me to remind you that you are holy and chosen in God's people. And I need you to remind me that I am holy and chosen by God. You see, we need each other, not just as parts of the same body, we need each other as partners because it is the only way that we will be able to take steps towards Jesus together because let's be real, sometimes we don't want to get stepping, do we? Sometimes we are stuck where we are and we need partners who are going to come along when we hold our hands out saying, I give up to put their shoulders underneath our arms and say, I will lift you and help you with this next step. You see, that's what partnership looks like. It is being accountable and responsible to each other. And so what Paul says to Philemon is, listen, if you consider me your partner, if we are really together in this, would you welcome him back? Do this not for him, but do this for me because I'm carrying a weight that I feel guilty about, that I, I feel like he's been here and he should have been there, so I'm doing what I can to make things right with you as soon as I can. And if he's wronged you in anything, I'll pay you back. Put all the debt on me. You see, what Paul does for Onesimus, hold his debt against me, is what Jesus Christ does for every man and woman who puts, his, who puts their confidence in him. He says, put their debt on me. God, I'm partnered up with them. Father, I am partnered. Put their debt on me. I've got this. Let them be back in relationship with you. This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus, isn't it? That, that Jesus Christ has said, I'll take it. 
the same way that Paul does. Can I tell you, this is the only letter we have in the entire New Testament that does not mention the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Nowhere is that mentioned in here. Do you know why? Because the assumption that Paul's making is that this is the way that we live our life, is dying to ourselves and yet being resurrected with Christ and living differently. It doesn't need to be here because that's the root of his request. And he ends by saying, I'm confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. You see, Paul doesn't believe that Philemon is just going to show kindness to Onesimus. I think he's actually asking him for the even more is to release him from that contract of slavery. You see, there, there is no place in God's community for slavery whatsoever. And what I know is we don't have an answer to Philemon's request. We don't know. But I think he absolutely followed through with it. And here's, here's why. If he didn't, we wouldn't have the letter. If he didn't release Onesimus from that bond, if he treated Onesimus and was like, actually, it's good to have him back because I'm going to have the garbage kicked out of this dude. Like, I was done. My wife, I've been paying for this with my wife for ages. Like, this is crazy. We went out to go to where and stole everything. You're in. If forgiveness was not extended by both of them, that letter could very easily just be ripped up, thrown into the fire, and it disappeared. Huh? Instead, it's a gift to the church of Jesus Christ 2,000 years later. That says there are people that are treated differently, that there are times in our life, this little book that we have says that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, our coming King, there's something about Him that when you partner with Him and accept His grace, goodness, and forgiveness in your life, your position and standing in life changes. You are no longer a slave to this world. You are a child of God. And you and I have a responsibility to follow that call in how we treat people, how we view people, especially those in our church community. This matters. It's a little letter. It's a one-hit wonder. Titus and Hebrews have so much more in it, right? Just go to Romans. It was another letter. No, listen. This letter is about forgiveness. It's about love. It's about community. It's about obedience. It's about partnership. And it begs us to answer the question, when I'm wrong or I have been wronged, how does the gospel of Jesus, how is the gospel of Jesus seen in my actions? Onesimus was so committed to Christ that he took that letter 1,500 miles back to his master. I would be shaking the entire way. But the gospel of Jesus compels him to make things right with his master, even if it was going to cost him his life, because that is what Christ has demonstrated. Philemon was presented with a very difficult choice. What do I do with the guy who completely wronged me, sold everything, and I've got nothing? Do you forgive someone who's stolen everything from you? How do you treat the people who wrong you, and how do you repent when you've wronged? And the second question it leads me to ask is simply, who am I partnering with to help me live out the gospel of Jesus when it's difficult? 
You know, Paul could have lost both these relationships, lost a great coworker who cared for him in Rome and lost this connection to Philemon who did help and support him. And he could have lost both those relationships, but he wasn't willing to do that. And he loved Philemon enough to say, this is gonna be so difficult, so I'm just, I'm asking you to do it on behalf of me because of our relationship, because I get if you don't wanna do this. We just need people in our life that are gonna help us go after Jesus. We need to be partners together in this. Who partners with you to call you on your garbage and to encourage you in your faith? Jesus demonstrated this for us on the cross. And that's why Philemon, Paul, Onesimus, this crazy triangle of I cannot believe I met your master and know your slave. Oh, you see, the gospel of Jesus does amazing things in bringing us together. The world is very small when you know Jesus. But communion is all about the blood of Christ, his body broken for us, his blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins because we're gonna need to make things right with each other. And so today, as we approach the communion table together, we culminate our service in this way because Jesus was elevated on a cross for us and says, follow me. And that means we're gonna have to die to some of these really garbage decisions, to be real. If you're sitting here and there's someone coming to your mind right now that you're thinking, yeah, I've stolen from them. I have run away from this stuff. I do not want, like, I, Jimmy, I could never go back and apologize for that stuff. I could never afford to do that. You can't afford not to do that if you follow Jesus. That's what the gospel compels us to do. If you're someone who's holding unforgiveness from someone who has stolen from you or hurt you, you can't afford to hold that. Jesus Christ has paid the price for that sin. Don't make them hold, don't hold them accountable to pay more. Extend forgiveness. Following Jesus is not easy. It calls us to die to ourselves. but it's always worth it. Would you stand with me as we prepare for communion? If you're a follower of Jesus and have dedicated your life to him, we at Crossbridge celebrate an open table of communion. Uh, regardless of your tradition or denomination, we say, we're glad you followed Jesus with us. Thank you for being members of the same church. We gather around our table so we could see each other's faces, just like the disciples. And in a moment, I would encourage you to go to the sides where there's some prepackaged communion as well as some wafers that we would love for you to break, to dip, and to bring back to your seats. If you have chosen and you're at a place where you're not following Jesus, you're trying to figure out what's going on. This forgiveness thing sounds way too much for me right now. I don't want, I'm not there. That's okay. You hang where you are. No one's gonna judge you for what you, you're doing or not doing. But this is what Jesus Christ calls us as his followers to do every single time we gather. So would you pray with me? Jesus, you are holy, which means you are set apart you are perfect, and in your perfection and holiness, you died for our sins. 
You gave up all your comfort for us. And then you invite us into this crazy story where we're going to run into people all over the world and think, oh my gosh, we're connected. Yes, when you celebrate my body and blood every week, you'll be surprised with who you're with. God, thanks for the diversity of your kingdom. Thanks for the gift of forgiveness. Would you bring people to our mind that we either need to forgive or ask forgiveness as we prepare and receive your body and your blood? In Jesus' name. You may receive communion and come back.